0: Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Meckie Lozano. Happy Epiphany, everyone, and happy one-year anniversary. One year ago today, we officially launched our podcast with a beautiful episode about God and the Child with Rebecca Roycevich, and I have to say this past year has been so much fun to journey with each of you. I feel like I have been so blessed to be able to sit at the feet of some really wise people in the work of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and it has helped me grow and fall more in love with both God and the child, and I just hope that you have been blessed by these episodes just as much as I've been blessed by doing them. So today is another wonderful episode with my dear friend Sherry Mock, and she will be speaking about the history of this beautiful Feast of Epiphany and how it connects with us and our history with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I hope you enjoy this episode with Sherry. Sherry, welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast.
1: It is my great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Mm
0: -hmm. Sherry, would you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: about myself mm-hmm.
0: well personally
1: I am um, sitting in Texas right now with my husband we have been sequestered for almost a year like most people have um, mm-hmm. you know longing to see friends and family uh, not being able to but uh, with technology it is incredible that we can still make these connections so um, mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm happy I consider this a, a retreat time. <laughs> so that's been working out just fine
0: that's a good way to look yeah. at it. yeah yeah it well how about your work with Montessori and catechesis of the good shepherd well um I uh,
1: I have been working in uh, well let me see but my first my first introduction to Montessori, actually, was uh, in college uh, in um, the field of special education. Uh, Had I been in uh, early childhood or or primary school uh, education, I probably never would have heard her name, but... Uh, I I did and then when my own children were old enough to go to school I found what I considered God's special leading and um, we enrolled in um, the Dominican Montessori School in Houston Texas and for the next nine years our education began and let me tell you I learned a great deal more than the children well I shouldn't say that that's not true but I I have such warm feelings uh, for the for the sisters there and for the for all of the oh it was a wonderful experience anyway so that was the beginning uh i ended up taking my uh my montessori training there in houston and uh Uh, My first uh, catechetical course was in 1991 and went through all three levels. So by 19, what, (laughs) I know, 20, 22, 2005, I guess I had, um, you know, the National Formation um, training uh, certificate. So um, that was, that was um, my background, but the big work that i think that god has called me to do he called me out of nowhere uh as a retired grandmother thinking i was pretty finished with uh, most things <laughs> uh as it is um anyway i i um i had worked a little bit with diane berry and uh and then i get this phone call from uh, from tina lillig and um she and I visited quite a number of different times, and then um, we kind of together perceived this idea of um, a Montessori's Essentials courses as to be a part of the catechetical training. And so uh, we began with this very small, with um, I guess in a way I look back on it, it was like with both feet running. I, I gathered a team of, of Montessorians. And um, those in catechesis who had been working with adults, so I had a great team, and I pulled together uh, Charlene Trocta, who was on the educational board of um, the um, International Montessori Association at the time too. So we had a wonderful team, and so we began. (laughs) Um, We actually the whole spirit of it uh, was uh, those thirty-two points of reflection. And the, um, the one especially, that you know, the idea that the catechesis would indeed embrace Montessori's vision. And so that's where we began. The only thing I do now, which has been probably the sweetest, dearest part of my whole life's work, is that I am working um, with... Jacqueline Ruley, in her domestic church and home school. So we have we have combined then all of the Montessori education works and the CGS works together and have been watching that oh, for the last eight years. And it has been incredible. It's been wonderful. So anyway, that's that's
0: the background that I'm gonna share. <laughs> well, that is quite a work, Sherry. Quite a work. And I was very blessed to be a part of Montessori Essentials Lab. You were. I remember that. It was like nine or 10 years ago where you brought all the beautiful practical life materials into our atrium and broke it down into this Uh, progression of practical life. And it was so helpful for me to see all the different types of practical life, but then also how they progress from one type (laughs) to the other.
1: Those workshops, if you want to call it that, uh, were just amazing to me to see how people it was like you were starving for it, <laughs> in a way. You know, it answered a need, I think, that was very important for mm-hmm. the catechesis. And yes. and I'm just really blessed to be a part of that. It was such a privilege. Oh, my goodness. The best, the best and most important mm-hmm. work I think I've ever done.
0: So that's good. Well, today is a very special day. It is the Feast of Epiphany. And this is a really wonderful feast that has a really predominant place within our liturgical calendar. So I think it's a really wonderful thing for us to be speaking about Epiphany today on this Feast of Epiphany, because in so many ways, the children are a gift to us. Yes, But I also feel like us as adults with children in our lives, our gift to Jesus is this work. This is our goal, frankincense and myrrh, that we are presenting to him. So I think it's just, so I think it's a really neat thing that we will be discussing this today. And it's also our anniversary, our one year anniversary of our podcast as well. Oh, what do you know?
1: Yes. Well, this is an you know this is an anniversary in um Montessori's work as well. Did you I know, know that? I Did you? Can you tell
0: us more about well, that? Well, it
1: is fascinating. Fascinating. Uh I I think you know many of us kn- knew that her first um Casa dei Bambini in Rome was um initiated if you want to call it that commemorated on the feast of the epiphany and i want to if if we have enough time and i think we do that i want to share with you some of her memories as she looks back on that time Uh, i think they're fascinating um we tend at least i do tend to think of of that first class in a kind of romanticized way, you know, Oh goodness, you know, we hear about the poor paupers who, who came and the children were crying, but I had no idea what the setting was really like. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, kind of give you a taste, I think of this. uh, And I'm going to do that from uh, two articles that I have only kind of recently found. Um, One of them is, I think shared by, um, An Australian group Um, and anyway it's it's just amazing to me to look at this so I'm going to kind of share a little bit about this so she is in India when uh, she is remembering these things now I don't know if you realize that she was in India for uh, a very definite reason Uh, she and her son Mario went there to do a three-month training course in 1939 and because they held uh, Italian passports and because England had uh, declared war on Italy at that point in Germany, um, Mario and Maria Montessori were detained. Well, they were detained for seven years. They did not go back to Europe for seven years, mm. did not see his family, or her grandchildren, nothing. And uh, it was at first, I think, a huge shock. He was not even allowed to see her for a while. And in fact, it was in 1940 uh, on her 70th birthday, if you can believe it, her 70th birthday, they gave him back to her. And um, they were allowed then to uh, work together. And what work happened is just incredible out of those years. However, I want to go back and look at a particular memory that she is sharing while she is there. This is in somewhere around 1942, okay? Mm -hmm. And she's telling her participants in this course about the first house of children, she says, and how it began. And she talks about how it was a mystery to her that, you know, it it was not something she planned. She did not walk into a classroom as a teacher. She walked in actually as a medical doctor and as a background in science. And so she came into it with no preconceived ideas at all she had no idea what 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 was going to happen and she says i i pondered about it much and i tried to understand it but you know i knew it had something to do with the children <laughs> and then later on she uh, she tells how it had to have been god that had worked this out because this was absolutely beyond anything that she could have ever uh, understood and i'm going to start a little bit she talks about this building this time and i'm not even going to go back into you know the early 1900s but during that time the this quarter of san lorenzo as it was called was the shame of italy the people Mm -hmm. were were housed like people in caves, she says. Um, No electricity, no lights, uh, open doors, open windows, nothing. They just had nothing. And um, she talks about them, you know, as many of, you know, many criminals because they had no means of support. They had no income, nothing. Many were, um, you know, had just come there for shelter. Anyway, she was contacted because a second building commission was established and they decided they had to do something about this and so another group was established and they they (laughs) coincidentally heard uh, about her because she came became kind of a darling of the press because and that's another whole wonderful story she had taken a group of institutionalized children And had shared with them some language and sensorial work that she had discovered by a couple of Frenchmen. And they changed to such a degree that those institutionalized children who were considered animals passed the exams to get into kindergarten and primary Mm. school higher. Than normal children, mm-hmm. so all of a sudden she became a you know a real well known. She was a pretty young woman. Uh, she had a lot of a lot of support from various women's organizations, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so she gets this this. Contact. I don't know whether it was a phone call, maybe not. But uh, anyway, she was asked if she wouldn't please come and do something about these children who were absolutely tearing mm-hmm. up these new buildings that had been redecorated. <laughs> they hadn't really been done much, too, but they had been redecorated, and so she says, "You know, mm-hmm. th- you know, these children were truly wild and uncivilized, and they presented this serious problem." Because they were damaging all these new buildings.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Well, the director of, of the concern asked her about it. So they set aside one room and uh, they decided that's where all of the children would go. Now, there were 10,000 people in the building or in the buildings around there. And interesting enough, only 50 children. <laughs> wow. Wow. That'll tell you something about what kind of society <laughs> or not this was. And she calls this room, the one that she sees uh, for the first time, in every way a children's prison. Hmm. They just oh, simply yeah. wanted to find them a place that they could, uh, I won't say incarcerate them, but that kind of that's kind of what it sounds like from this. Anyway, she said, um, you know, the only thing she started with was this idea because she was a medical doctor that these children needed some kind of hygiene. They needed some kind of food and sanitation. That's where they started. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she began to collect some funds, and some wealthy women gave some various things. And one by one, day by day, they began. Now, she talks about them as being forgotten. Nothing. No school, no teacher, nothing. But she was able to find a woman, and that was it that was where they began. One in, one big room, well, no, it wasn't big. Charlene talks about visiting that place in Rome, and uh, she said it was like 20 by 20. It wasn't very big mm-hmm. uh, for 50 children. They were all seated at tall tables. Their little feet couldn't even reach the floor. They were between two years old and six, 50 of them. So, uh, I can't, you know, I just can't imagine. However, she uh, she says that on the sixth of January, nineteen seven, this room was inaugurated. <laughs> uh, she she does talk about how this was looked upon as a feast for the children. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting that that she would say that, um, and so it was it was celebrated. And she said it was just uh, it was striking to me that this happened and so uh, i'm going to read a little bit here because it's just it, it just takes my breath away to think about this she said while well, everyone had the idea that by giving houses and sanitation the people would be purified <laughs> <laughs> no one had taken consideration the children no one had thought to bring them anything not toys not food and so when the children ranging between two and six entered They were dressed, all alike, in some kind of thick, heavy, blue drill. They were frightened, and being hindered by the stiff material could move neither legs nor arms freely. And apart from their own community, they had never even seen other people. To get them to move together, they were made to hold hands. The first unwilling child was pulled. Thus dragging along the whole line of the rest, all of them crying miserably.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Bless their hearts. And she says, I'd, I'd been asked to make a speech <laughs> for the occasion. And she says earlier that day, I had been reading uh, the reading the daily readings for the mass, and so on my mind, she says, I have I have these readings, and and she quotes them. Uh, I'm not won't I won't do that, but it's it's the arise, be enlightened, O Jerusalem, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen on thee, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It was a beautiful piece. There is no question about that. But she said. I don't know what came over me, but I had a vision and I was inspired by it and inflamed. And I said out loud to everyone, this work that we are undertaking could prove to be important, that someday people would even come to see it, to see what was happening here. (laughs) and the the when the press um heard that they thought she was exaggerating and um but she says you know and that's you know if it's from there from from that from that day that the real work began (laughs) i can't imagine you know i just can't imagine but the stories i've heard from the people who trained under those collaborators who worked you know uh, with her earlier talk about how she really went into this as a scientist she did not want she did not want the children to be interfered with and so what she did was that she would something would happen and she would sit back and watch And then she'd go out and sit down or in some quiet place and think about it and contemplate about it. Um, One person said that they they really believe that she just talked to Jesus about it. (laughs) And I believe it might have happened that way because in the long run, she really felt like the things that she saw were truly a revelation from the Lord. And if you look, you know, when you look at the whole scope of her work before birth, all the way through uh, the adult, all of that work had to have been inspired because in no other country, in no other way, in no other system of education had that ever been done. And to this day, it still hasn't been done.
0: I think it's obvious when you're reading this that, especially that beautiful visionary speech that she gave, that she had no idea how big this work was going to get. And she said, I think that this is going to change the world. And, man, she was right.
1: I tell you, it was just amazing. Um, You know, and then so she she brought materials in one a little bit at a time and then she'd watch and then she'd bring something or she something would happen i know that the adult was late one day the cabinet was locked and then the children however knew where the key was so they just got at all you know got off the materials and began to work without mm-hmm. any adult around well that floored everyone you can imagine mm-hmm. and she um, you know she she just kept telling this this adult do not interfere she kept thinking you know, that somehow that had been a part of what um, what they had done and gradually day by day by day by day there were changes and the changes that happened in these children were so great that they became a kind of um, magnetic force for people around the world they want you know people started coming to see these new children. And um, mm-hmm. I think probably the best place to get a, a vision of of the work that slow work month my month uh, work was in E.M. Stanley's book, her her biography, um, because he breaks down you know each of the things that happened that made such an impression not just on her but on everyone and when i'm talking about an impression i am truly i truly i want to uh, i want to re i will read this piece because this is this is how she felt about it after just a few months she said um i looked at the children with eyes that saw them very differently and i asked Who are you? Hmm. Are you the same children you were before? And I said within myself, "Ah, Perhaps you are those children to whom it was said would come to save humanity. And if so, I will follow you. Another place, um, I think from maybe it might have been from the Absorbent Mind. I mean, this, this, this little piece is in several different Writings that I know EM Standing has done and also Montessori did, and she talks about it here also uh, to these people here in uh, these participants of the course. Listen to these words. It took time for me to convince myself that all of this was not an illusion. After each new experience providing such a truth, I said to myself, I won't believe it. I won't believe it yet. I'll believe it next time. Thus, for a long time, I remained incredulous and at the same time deeply stirred and trepidant. How many times did I not reprove the children's teacher when she told me that the children had done this themselves? Ah, the only thing I want, the only thing which will impress me is truth, I would reply severely. And I remember what the teacher said, without taking any offense, and often moved to tears. You are right. When I see such things, I think it must be the holy angels who are inspiring these children. (laughs) And one day, in my great emotion, I took my heart in my two hands, as though to encourage it to rise to the heights of faith. I stood respectfully before the children, saying to myself, Who are you? Who are you then? Have I perhaps met with the children who were held in Christ's arms and to whom the divine words were spoken? I will follow you to enter with you into the kingdom of heaven. And holding in my hands the torch of faith, I went on my way. So she is, you know. Again, she she's telling these participants about this experience. I think encouraging them very much um, to to begin to try to understand how how important this was, what it meant to her, what it seemed to mean in terms of humanity to her. And then she said, uh, "Anyone who wants to follow my method must understand; they must not honor me." Hmm. And, and she said that in many ways i you know i point to the child and people look at my ring <laughs> you know that kind of thing but i mean that was that was an amazing experience for her and yet there was something else too that i that i want to share and that this is one um that was done uh, either it in 1939 or 1940, and again, she's talking about and remembering the, um, this first Casa, and they, they uh, together, she and the participants, have this uh, kind of paraliturgy, and it'll sound very familiar, I think, to catechists, <laughs> um, because she, she says um, to them, I have, I have on this table a symbol that represents the child. It is a burning candle. It is not my words that are the light, but this candlelight is a symbol of the light that the child brings to humanity. And you have lit your candles from the candle I lit. And I see you are listening with lighted candles in your hands. This is a symbol of the fact that we come here to collect this light, this light of a splendid humanity. This symbol will help us understand that in the child, we have a teacher and not a pupil to help us regard the child with special devotion. I just find that remarkable as well, that she would say that.
0: I think it's just so amazing that Maria Montessori had this beautiful respect for the child. Yes. At the time that she did, because... Back in the early 1900s, they didn't feel that way about children. No, She was revolutionary in her mind and her thoughts. And I'm really grateful for her wisdom. She was just this beautiful perpetual learner. You can see that in how she just sat and observed the children, that she was learning from them. And from that, she humbled herself to say... I'm learning from them. <laughs> they are amazing. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to exactly. let go of my whole career as a physician exactly. so that I can follow the child. She knew that the child was going to lead her to truth and, they did. and to God. And they did. And they did. And we see it still today in our atrium. I know. And I'm just so grateful for their wisdom and their leadership between Maria and Gianna yes. and Sophia.
1: Yes. I want to take one more step before we get to to uh, Gianna and Sophia, okay? Mm -hmm. This is something that happened uh, in 1910, okay? And this is only three years after that beginning of that opening, okay? And so she, as a humble person, as you say, has had this amazing experience. And so she comes, I don't remember what church it was, but she and her first followers came to this church, and before the Blessed Sacrament, just three years after that opening, they laid their lives and their intention and this work on the altar of Jesus Christ. Listen. Before the mystery of God, I desire to concentrate myself, no, consecrate myself to the service of the Catholic Church, offering myself as a holocaust to Jesus Christ our Lord. I desire to follow the path of His divine will, embracing my sweet cross with the intention so truly to live that if it be His will, the Church of Christ in a reformed humanity may triumph amidst the splendors of civilization. Uh, And then again, in 1917, she says, Each of us is called to serve God within the limits that God has ordained. And in the form he has willed, and my service is the offering of my work, this work. I believe this education, this revelation is the instrument God has placed in my hands for his end. And she hoped that almighty god in his love and wisdom would raise up some individual or group of individuals who under the inspiration of the holy spirit would found an order of the servants of children of light guess mm. who <laughs> has become that order
0: that sounds familiar <laughs>
1: absolutely you know and think you know this was this was years earlier when did sophia when did john and sophia meet do we
0: in the fifties,
1: yeah, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: So this is decades before. Yes.
1: Yes. And yet, you know, the Lord was working. He was preparing. And he, somehow <laughs> he gave the same revelations to to Sophia and Jonna. Jana probably you know I think you know together they worked. Jana was of course the uh, the connection to Montessori at that time she had worked uh, in classes and so she understood she understood I mm-hmm. think the spiritual part of it and what the child had to offer us as adults Uh, And I think also she realized too, maybe, that this work had been dedicated to Jesus Christ and His Church, and so coming to Sophia, someone who was also dedicated, you know, perfectly dedicated to to this work, you know, in even in the Vatican, as I understand it, um, on on certain educational committees or something. I may have that wrong. I need I have not gone back to look at that, but that same way of observing children placing something in front of them observing them again to see how they respond thinking about it praying about it you know think of how how the work of catechesis has happened it's really the same work none of it belongs to us as human beings. I think, truly, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I really, truly do. Um, I, I feel that way from the responses that I see in the children, in the adults that I've worked with, uh, and I see it also <laughs> because we become under such attacks from from evil. Uh, the closer we get to the child and the truth, the Harder it kind of gets in some ways. Um, it's pretty amazing. Uh, in and yet to overcome all of that, look where we've come. I, I'm just perfectly breathless <laughs> to think about that.
0: It's like a mustard seed, you know, oh, yes, that was planted 114 years ago, yes, Epiphany yes. 1907 yes. to now, to now, till now. And the slow growth yeah. of that mustard seed that started with these yes. three beautiful women, the Holy Spirit, yes. the children, oh. and the growth that has happened spiritually throughout the whole world.
1: The whole world. Yes. And I, and I have to say, too, and I want to and bring up this, too, is that I was, I was so pleased. And, uh, you know, talking about how far we've come, the, the last journal from the catechesis, is beautiful in so many ways. It is, again, the uh, culmination of, of the work um, that that Tina brought to me all those years ago. Well, actually, not to me. She brought it to everybody because, you know, we were looking at the um, those thirty-two points, <laughs> and here they are in the journal. And how, again, how at this time, we are are still working on them and mm-hmm. are still thinking about them. Um, I, to you know, I love Carol Ditburner, Of course, she's been a major part of this this blending of of um the educational work and the spiritual work. She, Rebecca, Linda, I can't go on. I mean there's so many people who have done this. But uh uh in in Carol's article she talks about how the materials are like voices. Take me, they say, take me. You know, and I love that idea because that's exactly that's exactly right. It's it's uh it's a little bit like mm-hmm. You know, being uh, commissioned by the Lord, you know, here sheep, take this <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, then I just I marked it all up. There was just some beautiful, beautiful things. But yeah. um, I might I might end on this idea because it's so beautifully sta- stated by um, is it Margaret Dornay. Someone I don't know yet. I'd love to meet her. Anyway, in her article, she said, "Life as a pattern of threads." is an instructive image in several ways. The word order comes from the Latin or, di- or diary, maybe, meaning to lay the warp, to begin the weave, to arrange the threads. And, you know, that took me straight back to Psalm 139. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And, in, you know, that was verse 13. And again in verse 15, when I was woven together, um, anyway, and and so then she brings um, the thoughts of Saint Teresa of Calcutta, uh, saying, "Ever ready to explain that if we aim for the fullness of life." that we make something beautiful good for God. And it's such a privilege. And isn't it true? It's such a privilege of parents to be the first heralds of the kingdom and the catechists as their aides to foster a love of order that opens a young child's eyes to the true, the good, the beautiful. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? It really is.
0: I love the way it's all woven together. It's like each of their separate lives weaves together to make this really beautiful pet tapestry.
1: It's true. And I know from the bottom of the tapestry, it looks like empty, you know, <laughs> hanging threads and mist stitches and all kinds of things. But from God's view, it's absolutely beautiful. And I think that's what he thinks of this work. <laughs> and I look at it now as a whole. I don't see them as you know two works. I see one as you know the beginning parts of it, and then it you know then the Lord handing it to Joanna and Sophia, and it has become it has become the true oh, the true work that God has in His mind. I think for for the human being, I really I really do. It's just the most incredible, beautiful inspiring (laughs) I don't have words (laughs) you'll have to take over
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sherry thank you so much for sharing this really inspiring story with us Uh, of how we got to where we are and all the wisdom that you are sharing with us
1: oh sweet thing I um, I'm just so pleased to have been a you know a tiny chink in this in this tapestry uh, because it's been a beautiful part of my life too. So Carrie, thank you for inviting me, and um, <laughs> maybe we'll talk more. There's so many stories.
0: <laughs> I can't wait to hear them. Good. Happy Epiphany, Sherry.
1: Thank you, my dear, and may the light of God go with you wherever you go. Amen. <laughs> Amen.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode. If you would like to learn more about Montessori or how Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is connected to her, I have a few different resources that you might be interested in. Gianna Gobi worked with Dr. Maria Montessori, and she was responsible for the two-year-old children of the Casa dei Bambini in Rome. And it was Gianna who brought the original atrium materials, the instruments and means that distinguish Catechesis of the Good Shepherd from all other methods and programs The materials reflect the method of our work, which is based on the educational principles of Maria Montessori. We have a special commemorative journal that allows Gianna Gobi's voice and spirit to remind us of this beauty and the value and gift of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and how we as adults must behold, must see the child before us and their contemplation and enjoyment in the presence of God. So we are offering a special sale on this commemorative Gianna Gobi journal. You can get the link and the code for the discount in our show notes. Sherry also mentioned the article "A Modest Virtue" by Margaret Dornay, which was in our latest annual journal, which you can also find a link to order that journal in our show notes. I also included a link to the Child in the Church, which Sherry also quotes in our episode. In this reprint, E.M. Standing, which is Montessori's biographer and a disciple of hers, gathers a thoughtful collection of works focused on nurturing the spiritual life of the child through Montessori's educational philosophy. Another book that you might enjoy is called Montessori on Religious Education. It's three books that Montessori wrote that's compiled into one, all involved on the child in the liturgy and opening the door to their own religious experience. You can also find a link to that book in our show notes. The Good Shepherd and the Child podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for joining us this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.